<clears throat> this is a Romy cast. Never get tired of being Beatles. Uh, when I play the drums, then I play our guitar, and I too play a guitar. Oh, is he dead? Sit you down, Father. Rescue. Take 12. Can we just have a little less guitar in the John finally got just after that, and we were both of the do what you wanted to do, do what you wanted to do. Yeah, it's not bad that one. Keep that one, mark it fab. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Walrus Was Paul, a series of podcasts hosted by me, Paul Romanuk. Join me. Why not? You're here anyway. <laughs> let's uh, let's take a stroll along the cast iron shore and peel off the layers of the glass onion with another great musical guest as we discuss their favorite Beatles or Beatles solo record. My guest on this episode is singer and songwriter James Clark, frontman of his band, the James Clark Institute. And this is part two of our conversation about the Beatles' 1969 release, the lowest-selling record in their core catalog of albums. It is the soundtrack to the 1968 feature cartoon film Yellow Submarine. In the last episode, we talked about side one of this album. Today, it will be side two, the most unique side of any Beatles release, I would say. And why that is will become clear as we talk about side two. The website for this podcast is romicast.com, and if you head there, you can find each and every episode that we have done so far in this series. This is the 17th episode of Series 3. You can find all of the other episodes from Series 3, as well as all of the episodes from Series 1 and Series 2 at the website, or wherever it is that you snagged this podcast. Our guest, James Clark, has a new album coming out in the autumn of 2023. Uh, as this is being recorded, that's just a couple of months down the road. The album will be called Under the Lampshade, and it is produced by friend of this podcast and Canadian rock superstar Mo Berg of The Pursuit of Happiness. You can find out what James and Mo and the band are up to at the band website, which is clarkinstitute.com. That is Clark spelled without an E, so just C-L-A-R-K Institute.com When you go there you will see links to his videos on YouTube and there are some excellent videos which we will talk about a little bit later on in this episode. You can see those on YouTube uh, as well. His music available on Bandcamp and all of the streaming platforms and you can also find James on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. I mentioned that this is indeed part two of our conversation about Yellow Submarine. If you did miss part one, you can go back and find it wherever it is you found this podcast. Go back, listen to part one, and then come back and join us for side two. That is what I would recommend. Uh, as I mentioned a few moments ago, without a doubt, side two of Yellow Submarine, without a doubt, the most unique side of any Beatles album. 
So, side number two. Uh, famously, the orchestral side of Yellow Submarine. So the second side of the album, it's comprised of seven tracks, and they're re-recordings of uh, George Martin's orchestral soundtrack for the film. Uh, the score for the Yellow Submarine film, it was originally, the, the one you actually hear in the movie, was recorded at Olympic Sound Studios in London in the spring of 1968. So the performance you hear on the album is a re-recording specifically for the soundtrack album. They did that at uh, EMI Studios, Abbey Road, on the 22nd and 23rd of October 1968, three months after the film had already gone out on on general release in the UK. It was a 41-piece orchestra, and it was in Studio One, which at Abbey Road, for those of you who haven't been there, and that would be most of us, uh, they have uh, three studios, or at the time, there was the big studio, Studio One, where you could have an orchestra uh, and do uh, arrangements for film, uh, that you've seen footage of, of Studio One, that's where they did the big orchestral crescendo for a day in the life, uh, and then you have Studio Two, which is a smaller studio, it's where the Beatles did most of their work. There's the famous, there's a staircase that goes up from the floor of the studio to the control Mm -hmm. room. And then there's Studio 3, which is the smaller studio. And the control room, at least back then, was on the same level as the studio. And it was a sort of a smaller place. Uh, So Martin conducts the orchestra in Studio 1, does the sessions with a guy named Ron Richards and John Burgess with Jeff Emmerich Engineering. And a guy named Nick Webb was the tape op. Now you know for posterity. The sessions each lasted three hours. The results then mixed into stereo and edited for release in late October. He said that he drew his inspiration from the great composer Maurice Ravel, calling uh, Ravel one of the greatest orchestrators of all time. Uh, and then you ha- here's the cool thing. So, so first of all, never mind what I. What was your take? Because like me, uh, I'd probably listen to side two of the Yellow Submarine album in my life. I could use one hand to count and <laughs> probably have a finger or two left over. But because oh, yeah. we're going to talk about it, I gave it a listen. So, what did you, uh, did you do the same? And what did you think? Absolutely, uh, I probably played it when I first owned it. I thought, what is this? Uh, this is not the Beatles, and and I probably didn't listen to it ever again until I think when when it was released on CD, I probably played the whole thing through, and then and then actually just last night I I pulled the album out and played both sides, uh, probably the first time in years. Yeah, years. vinyl or CD? Vinyl, Attaboy. boy. So so, what did you think? You know what? Uh, all these years later, I can really appreciate it. It's really there's some really, some really great stuff on there. Um, the arrangements are beautiful. I, I actually, and there's one track I think that's really kind of loosely based on "Within You, Without You." I heard a little bit of that, and I had never noticed that before. That is what got me. Was um, I, I took some notes, but it's uh, so. Here we are. What's uh, "Sea of Time"? Is, is the track. Very Indian influence with sitar and tambura, and the strings were reminiscent of the string playing in Within You, Without You.
And then in Sea of Monsters, there's some backwards tape okay. uh, to complement right. the sort of sucking sound uh, of some of the monsters. Remember the monster that was like a giant vacuum cleaner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What jumped out at me, and it sounds like similar to you, was the number of sort of Beatles references in there. Mm-hmm, definitely. And, and of course, I'm drawn to those, for yeah. sure, right? So, yeah. And for some reason, I know, as a kid, I don't think I even heard that. I probably wasn't listening with you know both ears at the time, so... Those went right over my head. Oh, I, we would have, yeah, we would have, we would have blown it off. Yeah, you know, I was just side two. What's this shit? Right, you know, with, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, there's so, and so there are a lot of Beatles references if you listen for them again in Sea of Monsters. You have the backwards uh, tape stuff, which he had been doing with the Beatles around this time uh, and before. Uh, you have the direct reference to Within You, Without You, as well in, in Sea of Time, and then there. There are references to uh, box air on a G string, uh, and then of course his take on Yellow Submarine in Yellow Submarine in Pepperland. Mm-hmm. Right. For uh, George Martin, uh, he benefited financially more than he had ever uh, previously as a Beatles producer. Good for George. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. it was sold 4.2 million copies. Mm -hmm. He's all over one side of that album. Yeah. You know. Good for him. Good for him. Ironic, though, right? Like, the (laughs) least purchased Beatles album, and, uh, I mean, not to say his contributions weren't big on this, but I guess just the way it works, I mean, you think of something like Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and he, I mean, yeah, he'd have gotten a fee, but... Right, yeah. You know, he wouldn't have... That's true. Uh, Interesting. He was definitely um, the fifth Beatle, if you ask me. I mean, there's all this controversy on who was the fifth Beatle, but he was the fifth Beatle, for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I don't mean, think... Uh, if they had not met George, it's you know hard to see what would have happened to them, but um, they got lucky. So many things, though, right? So many things. Had they not met Alan Williams back in the day in Liverpool who opened doors for them in Hamburg, and had they not gone to Hamburg and had oh, that yeah. apprentice... Oh, yeah, like, yeah, all yeah. those... When I was uh, in the UK, in Liverpool last year, because the band went over to play the Cavern... And uh, I did the uh, two-hour Magical Mystery Tour, Beatles tour, when I was there. And it was magical, absolutely magical. And, and the thought that I was left with after the two hours, it was like, these were four kids who, who grew up like us, and just kids who loved music, who loved it and loved to play it. 
and that's all they wanted to do, you know, similar to me and so many other musicians. And but um, they they met a lot of the right people, the right time, and and you know that's it. That's history. Like, yeah. Oh, hey, luck is preparation meeting skill, but you definitely, uh, you need some luck. Yeah, yeah, and when the luck, if you do get the luck, you've got to be ready for it, for sure. And they were, you know, definitely ready for it. I mean, if, if, if we're talking about orchestrations and arrangements, I, I did want to say that there's a, a couple of songs, My Spies Tell Me, off of the new record that have strings, and there are a couple that have trumpets. So we're going to see that on your new record. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think of Trumpets on Yellow from mm-hmm. the last record. And should I tell her? It's trumpet solo? Yeah. So where do you come in on those orchestrations? And uh, to put it in simpler terms, do you write them yourself or do you tell somebody how you want them to sound? Uh, I don't write them myself. Uh, when, when Mo and I were talking about the new album and how we want to approach it and maybe what we want to do different on it I said I like to put the strings on a song and he said yeah let's do that and so uh you know I began to send him demos like I I do for all the albums and I more or less let him pick the tracks to go on, on the album unless it's something that I feel really strongly about but uh we, we picked uh, we ended up picking two songs that we thought strings would sound nice on and he uh he knew of a woman who he had worked with previously on, on another project. She lives in the UK, and she ended up uh, recording all the parts for a string quartet herself, like two, you know, two violins, viola, cello. And uh, so she did, she did those tracks and then sent them to us. And, and her, her uh, arrangements were based, I guess, loosely on, on some ideas that Mo had for the strings. So it was really their their thing, not not mine at all. I just said I want to put strings on this, yeah. And and she did a beautiful beautiful job. Now, is that something though that you like? Would you see that as the next step in your musical education, or is that just something that I don't want to say doesn't interest you because it's your song, so of course you're interested. But is that something that you're you're perfectly happy to go? Here's the song. Do what you need to do to it to make it sound the way I want it to sound. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I might have some ideas, and I would. I'm happy enough to um, to deliver them and say, "Here, this is what I'm thinking." If if they chose not to use those ideas, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So James, so I mean, to, you know, to get kind of a little bit technical musically, how do you convey those ideas then? If you're if you're not an arranger, like, would you go to Mo and say, "Well, I'm, I'm thinking of a counter melody," or uh, you know, and I'm just making this up. The, the songs in F, uh, I'm thinking, you know, a G sharp would work well, or what, like, how does that process work? Uh, for me, because I'm not I'm not a technical player at all. Um, I approach everything more from feel or even visual. So it's, it can get difficult to uh, get my ideas across what I'm thinking because I got to describe them in real layman's terms, you know. Um, um, but yeah, I, I, it's just, uh, I'll describe it as a, as a feeling or a, or a color, 
even a color. Like, so you'd say, I want that to sound blue. Blue. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. A dark blue. No, I, I, it's it, whatever works. I mean, it, I mean, even McCartney, who famously, I don't know if I expect he can now, I don't know. Uh, I've never met the man, but uh, he, you know, didn't have the technical expertise to write out a chart, mm-hmm. or but he'd sit there and sort of hum it. Right, yeah. And George Martin would transcribe, yes. I guess, the humming. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably the most I could do, the, the hum, so, you know, the idea in my head, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, sure. and what makes you go... This song needs strings. If, if you, you, you're not a string player, you're not an orchestrator, what makes you go, oh, this should have strings on it? Or I think some, some Burt Bacharach trumpets would help here. Like, is that, how does it work? Uh, well, I always love uh, songs with, with string arrangements or, or trumpet arrangements. Yeah, I mean, the, the Burt Bacharach trumpets are amazing. Um, so to, to put something like that on the, one of my songs, it's, it's a thrill. So... Uh, because I've always appreciated these kind of uh, arrangements, um, yeah, it's just something that I wanted to try because we've we've not done that yet. So it's nice to try, keep things fresh, and try new ideas. And you just kind of brought, you just kind of slid it in there, but you played the cavern. Yeah, how did that happen, and what was it like? <laughs> we've played it two years now. We played it last year, and we played it this this past June. Um, it was everything you'd want, you'd expect it to be. It was. Um, the way I, the way it happened was there's a there's a music festival that happens there every year. In fact, this guy his name is David Bash and he he runs this music festival called the International Pop Overthrow and he's been doing it for many many years now maybe maybe twenty years and he's based in L A but he tours this festival around North America and then he goes to Liverpool once a year and he's been doing it doing it there for I don't know how many years now but uh, and we've had an open door to play it for many, many years, but uh, getting over there was always uh, really tough for me, finding the, you know, the band members that wanted to go and do it. It's all on, on our own dime. Okay. So, you know, I understand people can't do it, but uh, the guys that I'm playing with now, they were totally enthusiastic about it. Let's do this. So uh, it was it was a dream. That must have been such a thrill. It though. was a thrill. That, that is sure. pretty cool to have played there. Uh, so... Let's talk a little bit about the cover art. Mm-hmm. Uh, or so before we get to that, you just uh, off the top of your head, always tough to do. Uh, a couple of, because you, you know, you, George Martin, Fifth Beatle, not many people would argue with that. Uh, I certainly wouldn't. If, if you had to pick a couple of his arrangements, mm-hmm. what would they be to go on the, uh, to go on the all-star team? One of the uh, earliest arrangements I really like is Not a Second Time. It's a great track, just a simple, simple uh, pop tune. But I love how he played that piano, the solo in the, in the, in that song. No, no, not a second So 60s, um, but it's it's perfect. I think it's perfect for that that song. Uh, that's an early one. Um, the, the 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 later years. I mean, the, uh, 
phenomenal, but it's for me, it's it's a mystery as to who's really in charge here, George or the Beatles, arranging these songs. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, I am the Walrus is an amazing production. <laughs> I always had the idea that it was John's, mostly John's ideas coming across there. But how much did George have to do with that other than, you know, John saying, oh, you know, I want to, I want this happening in this song, give it to me. And George would, would do that. But I don't know what, uh, what you, uh, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're right. The lines become blurrier later mm-hmm. on. And, and where do you go? I mean, uh, to me, the one I go to uh, immediately and it, they're, Two that most people would go to, uh, but the uh, the strings on Eleanor Rigby, oh yeah, uh, yeah. are just sure masterful, and and you can hear he was clearly influenced by the uh, same era by the strings in the movie Psycho, the sort of mm. stabbing, dent, 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 mm. the sort of stabbing yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, violins. Absolute genius. And then it was his idea at the end. I don't know if this counts as an arrangement or producing, but to put in the McCartney counter melody uh, when, he, when he's singing, the, you know, ah, look at all the love. At the end, when he sings the counter melody. Mm-hmm. And it just, to me, that just ties it in a bowl like genius. Where do they all come from? Again, whether that's arranging or producing, I don't know where the, the you know, Moberg could probably come in. and I'd probably and, put that in the arrangement yeah, column. Yeah, uh, I mean, I love that. Uh, the, you know, the, the simple but tasteful arrangement for yesterday. because it's some people think it's you know the song's been overplayed so much and it does get played a lot but it's just it's such a to me it just treads the line beautifully between being sentimental but not syrupy 
Well, there's a reason why it gets played so, so much, right? Well, just, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then stupid yeah. stuff like, uh, you know, just the whoever came up with the idea, and I don't know whether it was George Martin or not, but the, the freak out in uh, A Day in a Life where... Right. To just, you know, simple, but sometimes the best ideas are simple to just, okay, every instrument, you're going to go from the lowest note on your scale to the highest one, and you're going to do it in whatever it was, you know, 16 bars, 30 bar, 32 bars, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like That sounds like a George Martin um, yeah. concept to me. But, but yeah. it just, it, but, it, like, to this day, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you hear that, and the, the, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Yeah. Yeah, for you sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, those are ones that. This, well, and the, yeah, those are those are all great. I would agree with you on those for sure. Yeah, you know, like uh, it, just a, 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 a you know, a, a genius. And then even his later work, I should do a George Martin podcast. But but when you uh, went to, he did the orchestrations for. Um, uh, McCartney's early solo albums. So the, uh, you know, the orchestration for uh, uh, Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another that's, classic. Yeah, that's that's George Martin, right? Deb? And the thing is, is that, uh, you know, he was so great, but I think beyond the maybe mid-70s, I mean, he did uh, Live and Let Die as well, which I, yep. that just occurred to me. Yeah, that's, you know, phenomenal. Um, but later, he just seemed to, in my eyes, anyway, he's going to disappear. Like, he was so phenomenal. But after the mid-70s, what I know he was still producing stuff. But uh, in fact, you know, he, he produced an album for uh, Cheap Trick, Called All Shook Up or All Shook Down. All Shook Down. And uh, I think it's one of my favorite cheap, cheap, trick, cheap trick albums. And he does some great uh, orchestration arrangements. The whole album is, is, is great. Yeah. yeah Definitely an amazing George Martin production. And then what a uh, Jeff Beck blow by blow. That's. Oh, uh, yeah. I forgot about that. If one. you're a Jeff Beck guy, yeah. um, he, he did that. But again, you know, uh, that's more of his producing. Uh, he produced some of the early stuff uh, for America. Yeah, that's right. Which he produced a few other song, few other albums. Yeah, I can I kind of get that with the you know you got two guys whose voices meld together so beautifully. Maybe. Sure, and the sister Golden Hair is very Beatleish. Yeah, you know, yeah, with, with the Harrison like slide guitar on it. So it, side. So give a. Maybe this will encourage you, dear listener, to pull it out and give a listen to side two of the the Beatles' "Yellow Submarine." Just, and just I would, yeah, yeah. yeah. Marvel at the genius of uh, of George Martin mm-hmm. uh, because he deserves it. Now the 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 front cover uh, features a, a cartoon of the Beatles, which had previously featured on posters for the film. The UK version of the album had the words. You can tell if it's a, a or. A reprint, but had nothing is real in small letters, uh, written by 
the title, which the North American one didn't. Uh, the track listing for the U.S. or North American one listed six tracks on side two. Sea of Time and Sea of Holes were combined into one track uh, listed on the North American one as Medley, Sea of Time, and Sea of Holes. But the, the version you see now from the original Beatles catalog was the European one didn't. Uh, really weird with the cover. The, the back cover of the U.K. edition contains a review of the White Album. Right, which was it was written by uh, the uh, the music writer Tony Palmer uh, in the Observer newspaper, and it was preceded by a short introduction by Apple's then press officer Derek Taylor. The one we got over in North America contained a fictional biography of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, credited to a guy named Dan Davis. Uh, and again, for a Beatles release, we talked about this earlier, but very bare bones, no gatefold, nothing additional. Um, so again, again, keep in mind, this is coming on the heels of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, gatefold, cutouts, inner bag, magical mystery tour, book, photos from the film and a comic book representation of the, of the film, white album, poster, eight by 10 photos. Yada yada. Uh, yeah, we were kind of ripped off with this one. You, you did. You, well, you did. I, I remember even as a kid, and I, and I think even the inner bag was just like a crappy, just a white inner yeah, bag. There was right. no. Uh, the only even mildly interesting thing as a kid was that it was on the Apple label, which yes, was that's new, right, yeah. new at the time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it makes sort of sense that uh, you know the Beatles didn't really have much involvement in it, and it kind of shows in the packaging as well. Yeah, I think it's gotten more loved over the years, mm-hmm. uh, but you definitely, looking back on it at the time, like looking at, I get where it was kind of unloved. It was yeah, just sort of like, sure. ah, uh, yeah, I get him that George song, we'll put that on, you know, you can, you know. For sure, yeah. But I mean, uh, the uh, illustrations are, are beautiful. The color is beautiful. Um, it's, it's really eye-catching. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's but, a, the artwork has become... I don't know if iconics too, it's an overused word these days, but that certainly the artwork has become very of its time, very representative much, of its much. time. Yeah, I love the way the Beatles were represented here in, in uh, cartoon style. It's, I mean, they're based on, the, I guess, the Sgt. Pepper era, right? But um, very flower power. I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a, it was, it was, it's, it's a great cartoon. And 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 one thing, yeah, I just noticed here, and I remember noticing years ago that uh, Lennon is, uh, is his what would that be his his uh, left hand? He's holding up the devil's horns, and which I thought I'm not sure if they were devil horns back then in 1968. But, I, I, uh, I always thought that was the it's uh, of, of it's on your if you hold your hand out in front of you uh, with your uh, the back of your hand facing you. Pull down the two middle mm-hmm. fingers, leave the one on either end. I always thought that was the sign for bullshit. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> so so I don't know whether that's... Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I always wondered... That sounds what, like Lennon. Yeah, yeah, whether it was a coded, you know, this is bullshit. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's good. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I have never been able to get to the bottom of that. Yeah. Uh, well, sorry, I was just going to say, uh, a side note to uh, my owning this album as a kid was, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, I had bought it secondhand from a friend of my brother's. Um, and a few years later, I went to play it, and it wasn't in my collection. And I went to my brother. I said, "Have you seen my yellow submarine?" He said, "Oh yeah, I, I sold it." So. <laughs> so I didn't own it again until the '80s when I went and I bought the. It was a 
British UK uh, 80s pressing of it. So that's the one I still have today. Uh, I still have a North American one in the basement somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and then the one you're holding in your hand came with that uh, 19, I think it was 99 box set or was it 2009? The, the box set of all the vinyl. Right. The Beatles. Okay. I think it was yeah, 2009. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nine. So, uh, it, so we've talked about that cover. A uh, couple of a couple of your covers, um, "Color of Happy," uh, which which I love, dear listener. If you you know either look for it online, uh, better yet, buy a copy uh, of the vinyl because it does it justice. But the the album, which is the album before the new album that's coming out, uh, but it's called uh, it's called Col- the Color of Happy and. It just smacks of irony because the cover is... Well, you describe the cover. Well, the, to begin with, the cover is in black and white. So there is no color, I suppose, of happy. Um, and it's, it's a photo of me standing waist deep in uh, Lake Ontario. Which was, the photo was taken not too far from your house here, Paul. Just directly south, I suppose. Um, yeah. Uh, was taken and and those those photos were taken uh, before the recording of the color of happy, and it just seemed like oh this is gonna fit perfectly for the album cover. So we weren't even thinking; we were just thinking promo photos at the time. And uh, when it came time to think about artwork for the album, I thought, yeah, you know what, this somehow this works perfectly. Yeah, uh, it, I, 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 it's a. I laughed at it when it, uh, and it, you know, I'm, I'll never be accused of being the fastest guy in the world. But it <laughs> took a couple, to, it took a minute for the other shoe to drop, and I went, oh, the color of happy. It's in black and white, and uh, you look distinctly mm. not happy. <laughs> Right, <laughs> holding up an umbrella, standing in the lake. So that's that one. Um, now, uh, I want to give a shout out to your art director, for lack of a better description, Sean Ryan, um, for his his great work on your videos. Also, a, a bandmate in uh, in you know your sort of yeah. Well, he's a he's a killer bass player. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm playing drums in a band now with him on bass. It's great to play you know, as a rhythm section with him. But he actually he actually uh, subbed in for for one of our shows when we opened for the Pursuit of Happiness at the Horseshoe, know, probably five years ago now. And my my bass player at the time said, "Oh, I'm already booked. I gotta I have a gig. I can't do it." What? So, I know. <laughs> so that's what I said. Yeah, um, I'll bet. <laughs> and then I called up Sean. I said, "Hey, are you available?" And so yeah, he subbed in for that well he has a great eye and uh, so you see that on the on the, the cover of the color of happy uh, I assume he's involved with the color of the new record he is he's taken all of the photos and uh, we've just uh, shot uh, a video for the advanced single that we're going to be releasing very very soon but no hints, no idea. Folks, he, he was like, uh, he, he's, he's like a spy. Like he just, you know, name, rank, and serial number. I was, so what's the new cover? He doesn't want to give it away. Well, uh, well the album title is Under the Lampshade. Um, and the, uh, it's in color this time. There's actually color to this, to this album cover. And it's a gatefold sleeve, which I'm very excited about because I grew up, you know, with with great album covers and a lot of them being gatefolds gatefolds and love them so it's I'm I'm excited to be releasing one of my own colored vinyl colored vinyl as well yes wow 
Yeah, I'll just say there's a lot of there's a lot of purple involved. Okay. All right. Well, I'm the looking color for color of purple. Uh, <laughs> that you didn't consider that for a title. <laughs> no. <laughs> And uh, one last, uh, because uh, uh, Sean is also uh, your video director. Mm -hmm. Um, So a couple of videos uh, talked about in the last episode. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to the previous episode uh, that, uh, that I did with James, where we talk about the album Ringo. Uh, and we talk about uh, a couple of your videos in that one. But um, more recently, the single that came out last summer, and we referred to it earlier in this podcast, but Marcella Never Got the News. Uh, fantastic video. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, really, really like that. Tell me about the concept behind that video. It's really straightforward. It's, it's, it's us performing the song um, outdoors in sort of a, a wooded area. And uh, we, you know, Sean directed it. It was it was uh, Sean's idea to shoot it like that. Dealing with with um, the song subject of a tragic plane crash, you know, we we were limited. We didn't really want to do something that's you know very liter- literal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just thought shooting it outside would be the, the best thing to do. And uh, yeah, I, I'm really happy with it. Uh, he he uh, did an amazing job directing it. We even used a, a drone for some drone shots. Um, above us, yeah, it's, it's really, we had the perfect day for it too. Beautiful sunny day. Yes, yes, yeah. It, it's really neat, dear listener. If you watch it, you can find it on YouTube. The song's called "Marcella Never Got the News." But the neat thing is, you you sort of see it's very simple. But you see uh, James; he's uh, in sort of a forested area. He's playing the guitar and he's sort of walking towards the camera. But then the band, all of a sudden, you walk up and the band is revealed, which mm-hmm. works really well. And I'm just going by memory here. Uh, there's a scene near the end of the song where there's a wide shot or a pan shot of sort of the trees or the forest surrounding you, and he's put in what looked like, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, the ghosts of the people who were killed in the crash to represent them. Am I right there? Um, that's, uh, wow, that's, that's very good. Um, that was just the shot. Um, it's very hazy. Yeah. And it was... Uh, that might be what he had in mind. We never really discussed that, but we had everybody, those faces of the band mm-hmm. and also um, some of the people that were in, family members of, of, of the pilot, Ray, who, who, who sadly died in that plane crash. So family members are involved in that shot. Um, yeah, it's very, it's... Uh, I, that was really powerful. That's what it yeah. said to me. Is it's yeah. you know these because the, it, it was near the end of the song, so you knew what the song was about, and it's yeah. I mean, disembodied isn't too strong a word. They mm-hmm. don't look like ghosts, but they they don't look like people standing there either. Right. They they yeah. look like the memories of people who yeah. might have stood yeah, there. Yeah, very at well said. You know what? I'm going to mention that to Sean because uh, we never discussed that actually. I like it. it's good it's video. Good. So mm-hmm. speaking of all the visual stuff, all right. Well, I mean we've 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 covered 
Yellow Submarine, the Beatles, uh, you know, some consider it a throwaway, but I, I think we've done not it me. justice. Not me. No. no not. So what are, your, what are your sort of final takeaways on, on that album and our conversation for the last hour and a half or whatever it's been? It's been a lot of fun to re, really revisit it and talk about it and discuss it. And one thing I, we, we didn't mention, and I'm, I'm planning on doing this very soon, is I'm going to watch the film again yeah. because I've not watched this film since... I, I don't know. It's been a lot of years. I guess when it was released on DVD, I probably watched it then. As a kid, I didn't get it. I did not get it at all. It was, I guess, I wasn't taking the right LSD or something. I don't know. But um, yeah, I went, it just went over my head. I, I didn't get it. And I loved, I loved the moments where the songs were playing in the film, but everything else. I, I remember like maybe the first 10 minutes of it, the introduction of the whole thing, when, when Ringo's being followed by a yellow submarine. Um, that was quite zany I like that but then it just yeah I don't know it just got too trippy for me or something it's but. really uh, I haven't watched it for a few years but yeah it's really of its time it's mm-hmm. really trippy psychedelic yeah. the style of animation is you know think about it like the style of animation at this time folks and we're talking mid late 60s this is the I don't know if it's the height of but it's you're you know those are some of the golden years of Disney Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yes, and yeah. so think of that style of, you know, that style of animation versus this style. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, and, and there's some, the, the, you know, the Beatles in subsequent years have taken them out and used them as videos, but the, uh, you know, the video, using air quotes, uh, for Eleanor Rigby is, mm-hmm. is taken out of that. Yes, um, and beautiful, beautiful animation for that yeah, particular yeah, and, and, segment. Yeah, uh, and, and we we talked about it earlier. But if you if, if you know again, if you're not familiar with the animation in a, a series that ran on British TV and then later North America called Monty Python's Flying Circus, it was a comedy troupe. Uh, but there was a lot of animation that they use as transitions in that series. And a guy named Terry Gilliam, who went on to be a great film director, uh, did the animation, and he has said. The, the, and you'll see that when he mm-hmm. when he points it out, you can see that, especially that uh, for some reason I think of that Eleanor Rigby mm-hmm. uh, thing uh, where he would have gone ah, cause it's yeah. it's a lot of sort of like oh, cutouts definitely. and yeah yeah stuff yeah, like it, that. Yeah, you can see it. It's his work is all over this. You know, like you can just you see where he was inspired mm-hmm. by that. Well, I am looking forward to uh, to hearing your new work, and uh, well, I'm looking forward to uh, letting you hear it. And uh, it's been uh, as always. It's it's been a pleasure. Thank you uh, for your time. And, oh, thanks, Paul. Uh, oh, it's been great fun. Yeah. All the luck in the world. I always love talking about the Beatles. So thank you. What a pleasure that conversation was. Uh, just a reminder that James has a great new album coming out in the autumn of 2023. That's as this is being recorded just a few months down the road. And that album will be called Under the Lampshade. And it is produced by friend of this podcast and Canadian rock superstar Mo Berg of The Pursuit of Happiness. So look for that. And you can find out when that album is about to drop by checking in at at the band website, clarkinstitute.com. That is C-L-A-R-K, Clark without an E, clarkinstitute.com. Links at the site to his videos on YouTube that we talked about, as well as all of his music on Bandcamp and on all streaming platforms. And you can also find James on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, If you've enjoyed this episode, or any of the episodes for that matter, I wish you would consider making a donation to support the ongoing production of this podcast and keeping it commercial-free. 
any little bit helps and is greatly appreciated. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please support the podcast if you can afford it. You can offer your support if you visit the website and click on the Support the Walrus button. A uh, big shout out along those lines to Michael Werner, Ernie Pinn, Jim Patrick, and Maxime Como for recent donations. Guys, much appreciated. Thank you very much. The next time on The Walrus was Paul, singer, songwriter, and musician Raquel Cole will join me to talk about her favorite Beatles album and the favorite of many, Abbey Road. I was getting into music and playing and listening and my dad had said to me, he's like, well, everybody was influenced by the Beatles. And I'm like, what do you mean everyone? He's like, everyone. And I think when you're, you know, getting into music and you hear that, you think, well, what on earth, how, how did they manage that? You know? So that was, I was starting to write songs and, and loved music. And so that was one of the reasons I honestly went back and started listening to their songs was because I wanted to know what everyone else was influenced by. That is country singer Raquel Cole. Uh, you'll really enjoy hearing her. Uh, really loads of personality, some great insights, and uh, also uh, maybe a, a gateway to some of her music. That is next time on The Walrus Was Paul, country singer Raquel Cole. You can follow this podcast on the usual socials, on Twitter and Instagram. I can be found at the handle Romanuk Paul. On Facebook, you can do a search for the Walrus Was Paul podcast page. I think I have over 100 people following the page now. Why don't you become number 101? Uh, if you'd like to get in touch, you can also go old school and fire me an email at the.romicast at gmail.com. That is the.romicast at gmail.com. Com. Positive reviews and shares on your social channels also help out. Uh, what have I been listening to lately, if you're curious? Uh, a lot of BBC Radio 6 music. Uh, I stream that as my station of choice. I don't like everything that gets played, but then... You're not going to on a station like BBC Radio 6 Music because they have such a wide range of presenters and music. Why? Well, because they do something that is almost unheard of in North American radio. They have presenters who partially curate their shows. So you will get a show, for example, one that I listen to on weekend mornings uh, called Radcliffe and McConey. Uh, that is Mark Radcliffe and Stuart McConey, both seasoned music journalists, uh, know their stuff, love the music. They know their guests. They're passionate about it. But you might listen to one of their shows and hear a track from the Beatles. And then next, you might hear a new hip-hop track that has caught their ear. After that, you might well hear something from the early 1970s, maybe a Led Zeppelin track. You get a bit of everything. And again, this is my rant about North American radio, certainly Canadian radio. Uh, comparatively, it is garbage. And the reason it is garbage is because it is, it's homogenized and it's programmed and the media companies who own them don't care enough to hire people who are passionate about the music. There are lots of people who are passionate about the music, no doubt, but they don't give them the free reign to curate their own shows and take time to talk about the music and interview the artists and you feel like you might learn something. That's what they do on BBC Radio 6 Music. I'm not associated with them in any way. I just like to spread the word about where you can listen to good music and good radio so there you go that is my uh that's my rant <laughs> 
Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope you enjoyed the rant. That is it for now. I'm Paul Romanuk. I'll talk to you later. Do you ever get tired of being Beatles? Is he dead? Sit you down, father. Rescue.